As we begin this morning, the keynote passage for the text that is on the screen really is found in the previous chapter. Now you remember that these were not written with chapter and verse. They were written as a continuous letter. So when Peter, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this, it was a continuous letter. So the keynote passage that's found in the previous chapter is found in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. It really sets the tone. It sets the stage of who Peter is talking about or talking to. It says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God that lives and abides forever. Let me just say a couple of things about being born again. You know, I realize that it really is a subject or really is a concept that's oftentimes misunderstood. But let me just explain it. Give me about two minutes. I'm going to explain what it means to be born again. And it really is very, very simple. And we go to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. It all begins there. You remember the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Tell us, Master, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus took a little child and he placed a little child in their midst. And he said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. In John chapter 3, again, the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. He's talking to Nicodemus and he tells Nicodemus, he said, you have to be born again. Nicodemus says, how is that possible? How can a man, when he is old, be born again? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, he that is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus then says, you have to be born of water and the spirit. So all we know so far, Matthew 18, Jesus said, if you want to go to heaven, you have to become as little children. John chapter 3, if you want to go to heaven, you have to be born again. And John chapter 3 tells us you're born again when you are born of water and the Spirit. Well, we all know that's baptism, but let me give you a passage. In Romans chapter 6, beginning there in verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk, get this, in newness of life. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Matthew 18, little children. John chapter 3, born again. And Romans chapter 6, new life. It's the same thing. So we're talking about someone that has been baptized for the remission of their sins. But going back to our passage, Peter says we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Incorruptible seed. In other words, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. One more passage along this line. And it's found in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. 
And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. All this is very important in our introduction. And it's going to be extremely important later on as we progress through. So, Peter says we're born again. How? Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. What is that? That is the gospel of Christ. And the gospel of Christ is the word of God. All right. So we're talking about a Christian now. Now, from that point forward, though, the Christian has a responsibility. You've heard me in days gone by. You've heard me say, you have heard me say that the Christian from the waters of baptism has a threefold responding obligation. You've heard me say that. You've also heard me preach on two of them. One is a responding obligation to God, and that's to live a holy life. We understand that. That's first and foremost, by the way. We have an obligation to serve God and live a holy life. Number two, we have a responding obligation to each other in that we bear one another's burdens. We do that. We help each other in the struggles. We are to do that. A responding obligation to each other. That means I have a responding obligation to my father, responding obligation to you, but there's one more. We have a responding obligation to ourselves. And that is to grow in Christ. These are things that we have to do in our life. Let's go back to our passage. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to notice the first two. And by the way, in this we have some practical things. And Peter gives us the negative side. And then he's going to give us the positive side. We're going to begin with the negative side in this passage. And he says this, Therefore, laying aside all malice... First of all, the phrase laying aside literally means once for all time action. It doesn't mean cut back. You know what one of the problems is people trying to quit something? Have you ever tried to quit something? I have. I think everyone's had something in their life. I'm not necessarily saying it was a vice. But something in their life, for example, that they were trying to quit or do without. And sometimes people say this, well, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to cut back a little at a time. And then as I cut back a little at a time, then eventually I won't be doing it anymore. Okay, that is like a progression, a little at a time. You know what the problem is? While you are cutting back, you have not quit. You haven't. It doesn't make any difference if you went from participating in something in great magnitude all the way down to a little bit. You're still doing it. You still have that problem. You still haven't quit. Now, I have to say this, too. I do believe in progressive growth. So please get this down. If you're taking notes, write it down. There's a difference between growth and doing without things that we have to lay aside. Big difference. You know why? Because growth is always progressive. We talked about that. Paul said, until Christ is formed in you, meaning we grow gradually. Absolutely. But what about things that were in our life? Now, what he's talking about is once we're born again, once we are a member of the body of Christ, we have specific things that we must lay aside once and for all. Once for all time action. Now, remember this. Sometimes people struggle in their spiritual life. And sometimes we always think about our young people and our kids. And sometimes they struggle in their life. And I don't care how old you are, you can struggle too. 
But sometimes people struggle because they will not make a break from their past. If you had things of your past that were not right, and you participated poorly in your past with certain people, you may have to cut those people out of your life. You may have to cut that aspect of your life out of the way. Okay? Not last month, but the February before. In Oklahoma City, I preached a sermon holding the young people's meeting there with Cullen Smith. One of my topics was living godly in an ungodly world. And one of the things that I brought out was this. I said, when it talks about mortifying the deeds of the flesh or putting to death the deeds of the flesh, that means that we have to mortify or put to death the sins of our past. And we do that once we're born again, when we obey the gospel. What happens, though, is this. If you stop participating in a sinful act that you know is wrong, and you stop because you know it's wrong, but inside you ruminate on the joys and pleasures of that sin, right? All the happy times, all the fun memories, right? If you do that, you have not mortified it. You have merely internalized it, and it's only a matter of time before it leaks out. So what does he say? He said, lay it aside. Once and for all time. And now he's going to get specific. Malice. What do you think about when you think about malice? It actually is defined as wickedness, badness in quality, and evil. And you know, really, I don't know anybody in this congregation that, that fits. There's going to be some things that pertain to you, perhaps, some things that don't pertain to you. But notice, what he's saying is, this is 100% of all of you, is what he's saying. Once you obey the gospel, you have to lay aside once and for all time wickedness, badness in quality, and evil. It's called malice. What else? The idea of malice, too, is, is to have the disposition to injure someone. And that also is with retaliation. Number two, deceit. Now, when you think about deceit, obviously we think about things like things that are crafty or sly or underhanded. We get that, right? I got to slip something else in there too, though. I got to slip something else in because in our society, this is what we say. We say, saying a lie... Okay? To do something underhanded towards someone else is wrong. It's a terrible thing. That's dishonest. But little white lies are okay. Have you ever heard the term or ever heard somebody say, everybody lies? I have. Everybody lies. People sometimes make it a habit, make it a way of living, make it a way of life. In the words of my dear father-in-law, I love what he used to say. He'd say, so-and-so would lie if the truth fit better. Somebody sometimes just does that. You know what you got to do? Once and for all time action, lay aside malice, lay aside deceit too. Be an honest person. Get rid of that. What else? Live an above-board life. Got to get rid of this one too. And you know, over the years, you know me very well. Over the years, you've heard me preach on this. You've heard me mention hypocrisy. And you've heard me say what hypocrisy is not. Okay? Give me a minute. i got to do it again. But I'm going to give you something else today. I'm going to give you an example that I gave in Oklahoma City last month. 
I'm going to give you an example, specific example, if you want to know if someone is hypocritical or living a hypocritical life. I'm going to give you a specific example, okay? But let me talk about what it is not. It is not this. It is not that brother so-and-so or sister such-and-such is trying to do that which is right, but they made a mistake, they fell, they became weak, and they sinned. That is not a hypocrite. You know what people do, though? I hate this. I just hate this. It is the most overused and abused word in the world. And what it is, is it's used oftentimes as an accusation to justify their own lack of behavior. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, I don't want to go to church. There's hypocrites over there. At least I can stay out here. I don't want to go. I don't want to worship with hypocrites. Overused. I don't know anyone, in fact, there has not been anyone ever that lived besides Jesus that was perfect. So guess what? We're all going to sin. And you know what? I'm so thankful because the Bible says, John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. All right, we're going to sin. So committing a sin is not a hypocrite. What is it? As defined, it is one answering for another according to W.E. Vine. That's what it means. It is a play actor that's pretending to be something they never intended to be. That's what that means. Now, here's the example. This is the one I used. So a kid goes away to school, goes away to college. And during the week, he's doing things that he shouldn't do. Saturday night rolls around, goes to a big frat party. Okay? does things he shouldn't do, gets bombed out of his mind. Sunday morning, he drives to church. He walks in, bleary-eyed from the night before. A brother greets him at the door and says, Hey, brother so-and-so, how about taking the third song? Sure. And he gets up there, bleary-eyed, and he leads that song, and he sits down. He spends a few hours with his Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he goes back to his other life in school. That's a hypocrite. That is someone that's pretending to be a Christian when they know they really didn't intend to be. That's the difference. And may I say this to you? You've heard me say this statement, but I've added to it since then. I've added to it. But I really do believe that who you really are is better determined by the way that you behave in places where you are not known. That's number one. That's really you. Number two, I got to add to it though. Or in places where you are the most comfortable. That's you. That's me. That's us. All right. Now we understand what it is. Let's just not do that. Sounds good to me. Let's lay it aside. No more hypocrisy. No problem. What about this? What about envy? Now what does envy mean? Is envy a bad thing? By definition, it is. But let me tell you what envy is not. Okay? Chris is sitting up front, so I'm using him as an example. He's right there. I like Chris's truck. I, I love that truck. Nice truck. What if I said, man, Chris, I'd sure like to have that truck. Is that envy? Nope. What if I said this? Man, that's a great truck. I'd sure like to have one one day. Is that envy? Nope. Nothing wrong with that either. 
It's not a matter of, I just would like what somebody else has one day. That is not what that means. And sometimes people say that an envious person is someone that looks forward to having something that somebody else has, and that's wrong. you got to be content in whatever state you're in, which is true spiritually, but from a standpoint of what you might want to have that's not a sin. Nothing wrong with wanting that. You might even say, one day I'd really like to have one like that. I'd like to afford that one. Again, not a sin. Here's the sin. I'm displeased with Chris because he has prosperity and I don't get to have one. Now I'm guilty of envy. Do you see what that no good Chris got? He got that truck. I've been working myself for 20 years and I can't afford a truck like that. That envy? Yeah, that's envy. Envy is I'm angry that he has prospered and I have not. That's envy. That's what you got to get out. That's what you got to get rid of. So lay aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. And then here's this one. Oh, this one. Evil speaking. You know, this word here means speaking down to or about another. Now, I got to tell you, the word in this passage is also found in 2 Corinthians 12 and 20. And it's translated as backbiting. It Paul said, for I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest you be there be contentions and jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, and tumults. So the word for backbitings is the Greek word that's found in this text, and it's only found in these two places. It means speaking down to another person. And you know what really is scary about that? We've all done it. Speaking words to tear down. I want to understand something with you today. We are in a spiritual battle every day. If you're a Christian, you are in a spiritual battle every day. You are an individual soldier fighting in this battle. Collectively, together in the body of Christ, we are the army. And we're fighting a war and a battle. You know what the war is? We're fighting a battle against the devil every day who wants our souls. And you know what else we're fighting a battle against? The world who opposes us. Now I'm going to tell you what. We got the devil against us, and oftentimes we have the world against us. Let's not be guilty of friendly fire. Let me tell you something about friendly fire. One of the saddest things to ever hear is when a soldier, an American soldier, goes into battle and loses his life. It's bad enough when they lose their life. But when they lose their life because of friendly fire, that's so much worse. A number of years ago, you remember Pat Tillman? Pat Tillman was an outstanding football player. He had a multi-million dollar contract to the University of... Well, first he went to the Arizona State University, then he went on to the Arizona Cardinals, NFL. Right after 9-11, he decided, I'm going to give up my football career and I'm going to enlist. I'm going to go into the military. I'm going to fight for my country, he said. And he was fully willing to die for his country. Shortly after he was in the military, I don't know how long it was when he was in war, 
Shortly thereafter, we all found out that he died. He was killed. That he died in battle, we all thought. But then the report came out later that he died from friendly fire. One of his own accidentally took his life. All I'm saying is this. We're in a battle every day. We're fighting against the devil. We're fighting against the world. Let's not do that to each other. Let's build each other up. Let's strengthen one another. Let's be diligent in doing that. So he says, lay these aside once and for all time. These things, that's the negative side. Now let's talk about the positive stuff. Here's some positive things that we can do. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 2. First of all, he says, as newborn babes. In other words, what this means is, this is talking about at your earliest infancy. It is new or recent. So it means right from the start, right when you obey the gospel, as newborn babes, you have a responsibility from coming from the waters of baptism at your earliest infancy to do certain things. What does God expect from a young Christian? The same thing he expects from an old Christian and the same thing he expects from a new Christian that happens to be old in years. Here it is. As newborn babes, we have to desire a burning desire and have a desire for the Word of God. You know, when a baby is born, I think this is emphatic in the sentence here. When a baby is born and brought into this world, the first thing that they do is they bring the infant to its mother because you come in this world hungry. And that's what he's saying. You enter into this world from a spiritual perspective, you're doing so hungry. You're doing so with a burning desire for the Word of God. It's an intense driving desire to know more about the Word of God than you know. Now the suggestion in our passage is very clear. That until we make a clean break with the sins in our life, we are not going to have the desire for the Word of God that we need to have. We will be full of the world and not full of the Word. I'm going to tell you, if you have sinful things in your life, if I have sinful things in my life, do you know when I'm wanting to do those sinful things in my life, the last thing I want to hear is a sermon. If I am making a choice to have sinful pleasures in my life that day, the last thing I'm thinking about is picking up the Word of God and reading it. Don't you see? The idea is, what's implied is, you got to get rid of the sinful things immediately. Right? Now, I did say that growth is progressive, but you have to get rid of the sinful things immediately. And just as a baby comes into this world, if you want to be successful, have a burning desire for the Word of God. An intense hunger for the Word of God. You know, in Luke chapter 15, you know, we, we, we've taught, we know the story. And I'm not going to get into the story of the prodigal. I want you to fast forward to the story when he's with the pigs. Okay? A terrible job for a Jewish boy. I want you to fast forward the entire story and let's focus on the, where he was with the pigs. The Bible says that he would have eaten the husks that were fed to the pigs. You know what the husks do, I read? The husks kill the appetite. 
And number two, it perverts the taste. Now, he said, I would have eaten that, but they wouldn't even give me that. Stay with me on this. We're talking about feeding on something spiritually that's good for you as opposed to something that is bad for you. A husk destroys the appetite. It also perverts the taste. What I'm getting at is this. If you fill your mind with garbage, okay? I don't care who you are. If you fill your mind with garbage, it's going to destroy your appetite for the word of God and it's going to pervert the taste and confuse you. I'm going to give you Bible for that. I didn't just come up with that. I'm going to give you Bible. Notice with me a couple of things about that. What about in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4? The King James calls it myths and endless genealogies. The New King James writes, writes it like this. Listen. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. In other words, instead of godly edifying through the word of God, don't feed on that garbage. I'm going to tell you something right now. People sometimes get confused because they divert their attention from that which is wholesome and that which is right and that which is good and that which comes from God. And they do all of their investigating in other avenues with other books, with other authors, with other others. And they're so confused. They're so confused. And you know what they start doing? They start saying this. Well, I just can't see how a loving God would do this. Or I just can't see that it really does matter. You know why? Because they heard somebody say that. How important is it? When you come from the waters of baptism, have a burning desire for the word of God. I'm going to give you some more. Paul is saying that we must avoid the things that corrupt our clear minds and assault and attack biblical truth. In 1 Timothy 6 and 20, listen to this. Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. In other words, stay away from that. You know, the phrase there, uh, vain babblings, uh, is from the King James, actually means something outside the sacred temple. It is contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. So a practical way that I might say that, don't let your mind be corrupted. Don't do that. Don't let your mind be corrupted. Don't focus on those kind of things. I'll say this too. There's going to come a time in your life when you obey the gospel and perhaps you were raised in the church and maybe your entire life you were brought to the, to the church and you worshipped in the church of Christ all your life. And you were brought up that way and you were baptized for the remission of your sins and, and all of that. And I do believe that there does come a time in a person's life when they have to own their faith. In other words, their faith has to become their own. That's true. No problem. No problem yet. And then there comes time when there are questions that people have. And sometimes people start questioning things. Again, so far, no problem. How do we know that? Because Paul praised those in Berea. Why? 
They heard even the great apostle Paul preach and they didn't take his word for it. They searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. So the question we know from the Bible is not wrong. Here's the problem. What's the source of the answer? If you have a question, okay, have it. Pick up the Bible and find the answer. Don't pick up some book somewhere that some man wrote. Don't ask your friends that know less about the Bible than you do. Don't do that. Seriously, pick up the word of God. If you don't understand something, go to someone that can help teach you the word of God. But keep your mind free and rid your mind of all the garbage that exists in the world today. So, notice what it is. Let's talk a little bit more about the word of God. So, it says... As newborn babes or earliest infancy have a burning desire for the word of God, the new King James says pure and the old King James says sincere. And the word sincere is from the word that means guileless or unadulterated. It is the word that's oftentimes in its origins referred to as without wax. Okay? Now, a couple painters in here. Remember what we used to say? I was a painting contractor for 24 years. We always said this. A painter's putty and paint make a carpenter what he ain't. Or a carpenter works and strives to do his best and the painter comes and cocks the rest. Right? You know what this word means here? This phrase without wax? It was referred to a sculptor or a carpenter. And when the carpenter would build something and it would have imperfections and flaws in it, they'd add wax. When a sculptor would sculpt something out and it would have an imperfection or a flaw in it, you know what they do? They put it in a little wax. But if the man actually performed great work and turned out a masterpiece and it didn't have flaws in it, you know what they called it? They called it without wax. That is the word sincere. It is without wax. That's what the word of God is. Against all the garbage in the world, the word of God is pure. It's without wax. You don't need anything else. It is straightforward. Christians can feed upon it. Notice verse 3. Verse 3 now. And what this is, this is a summation of what he just said. In other words, it's going to give a reason. Why do you do it? Why do you cast aside all those sinful things? Why do you have a burning desire for the word of God? Because in this verse it says, if indeed, and if indeed literally means since. So he's sewing it up. He says, since you have tasted what? That the Lord is gracious. You've perceived the flavor. You've enjoyed that the Lord is gracious. Hebrews 6 and 5, same idea. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. The Lord is gracious. The word gracious means kind and benevolent. Here's the point. Why do it? Since you've received that the Lord is gracious, you've tasted the beauty of that. Cast aside the sinful things in your life and have a burning desire for the word of God to grow. That's what that means. That's what that means. In conclusion, and I'm finished. We've learned the following. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 1 through 3, we lay aside malice, deceit, 
hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. And we're going to be as newborn babes are. And we're going to have a burning desire for the pure or sincere milk of the word. Why? That we may grow. That we may grow. One final passage in my conclusion. Get this. I have an entire sermon, by the way, on this passage I'm going to show you. So I'm not going to preach a whole sermon now. But I'm just going to show you something here. Okay? I love practical stuff. In 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 13, 13 you want to be successful and live in the Christian life? you got to understand I'm in a battle. I'm in a fight. Okay? So what am I going to do? I'm going to gird the loins of my mind. I'm going to get my mind right. I'm going to get prepared for action. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to let these peripheral issues derail me. I'm going to get my mind right. I'm going to be focused on that. What else am I going to do? I'm going to be sober, simply meaning this. I'm going to be serious-minded about my Christianity. That's all that means. What else am I going to do? I'm going to get my mind fixed. I'm going to get my mind fixed on when Jesus is going to come back. And I'll make decisions based on how is this going to affect when the Lord comes back in my relationship with Him. As obedient children, I'm not going to conform myself to the former lust as in my ignorance. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fall back. But I'm going to live a holy life. I'm going to live a godly life in all of my conduct. And may I say this? Just because we know we're not perfect and we know we're going to stumble in sin doesn't mean that we cannot make the affirmation that I am not going to be anything other than a faithful Christian for the rest of my life. You mess up, all right, get back. Get right, straighten up, that's okay. Let's go, get back in there. But you have to make the determined resolve in your mind, I'm not going to be anything but a faithful Christian for the rest of my life. If you're thinking in the back of your mind, well, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. It's kind of like getting married. You stand there with that person. You're making the choice. I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life. It's a choice. It's a choice in advance. Make that in your life. And serve God all the days of your life. I'm finished this morning. Thank you so much for your kind listening. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.